the Freedom Project. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Freedom Project. What happened was, at the start of the year, at the start of the year, I had a dream. And in the dream, what took place, place was, I was planning this particular series, the Freedom Project. I think I was going to call it Steps to Freedom. And I was sharing with a particular neighbor of ours, our next door neighbor actually. And I was saying, this is what I'm thinking of doing for the church. And he was encouraging me. And he was saying, yes, go for it. I think we need to do that type of thing. And so, my brothers and my sisters, this particular series, I can tell you will be very powerful. If you're expectant. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us that anything that is not from faith is sin. So we must listen in faith. It's a series that's not stemming from an, a wise idea from my head where I thought, oh, I think the church needs this. But the Lord specifically spoke to me and said, you need to teach this. So I've been looking forward to it. And I'm expectant. You see, what happens in our lives is that life happens and each of us responds to life. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have experienced negative words spoken over you. Some of you come from a background of extreme poverty. Life happens. Life is not always easy. But how you respond and how you react to your pain will determine the degree to which you experience freedom. How many of you know that someone can walk through the door and maybe they've been abused. Let's say it's a lady who's been abused by guys. And I can say to this particular woman, you're going to work very closely with brother Ishe over here. And maybe we're doing a workshop of some sort. And she says, no, 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 no. Please just give me Ngumisa. Then we say, but what's wrong with Ishe? He's such a nice guy. He's such a gentleman, full of integrity. And she might say, no, Paul, all men are dogs. Now my question to you is, are all men dogs? Okay, there's doubt in the room. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, well, Paul, it just depends what type of dog. Some are huskies, some are chihuahuas, right? No, not all men are dogs. But why does she say that? She says it because of her experiences. So we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And you see, the enemy's strategy is to get you into a place where you're so wounded by life and your wounding causes unforgiveness and the unforgiveness becomes resentment and the resentment becomes bitterness and the Bible tells us that bitterness defiles. And you end up seeing that you're doing crazy stuff, stuff you would otherwise not have done because of how you reacted to the wound. Now, Conversely, there could be someone else who's been wounded by men. But they go to God, they come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, heal me. And they end up very sensitive and compassionate towards other women who are being abused. And they start a ministry to help abused women, to counsel abused women. They start a center, and they begin to train people up as wounded healers in that particular area. And so they literally in a sense, taking revenge on the enemy. Where the very thing the enemy meant for harm, they're turning it around and using it for kingdom purposes. Amen. Amen. And so we see ourselves in a situation where life happens to us. We experience pain, but how we respond to it will determine whether we walk in victory or we walk in defeat. So what has happened to you? Everyone has a story. What has happened to you? Is it divorce? Is it marit marital breakdown? Did you grow up in a broken home? Were you abandoned by your father? What is it that has happened to you? And my question to you is, how have you responded to that particular thing? You see, pain seeks pleasure. Have you noticed that? You know one of the reasons why a lot of pastors fall, fall into sin? 
Very often you can trace it back to some resentment towards the congregation. So you'll find some pastors saying, they're not giving, they're not giving. Especially pastors who are maybe reliant financially on a congregation, right? They might be like, oh, and then they get resentful. And then they end up not praying. And then they end up not preparing sermons. Because they're like, if these people are so stingy, why should I put any effort into holiness, into walking with the Lord? Why should I? Your pain will seek pleasure and very often the nature of that pleasure it's illicit and that's the trap of the enemy the enemy wants to get you to a place that gives him a foothold a door into your life for his darkness to enter amen that's his strategy so you determine it i determine it am i am i going to walk in freedom or not Sometimes what happens is the enemy's strategy is for us to end up feeling offended by something. How many of you get offended very quickly? You see, and that's why it's so deceitful because sometimes we're offended but we're not aware of it. Something I was dealing with in my life recently and I was chatting to my wife about it, just realizing that because I'm generally quite a nice guy, amen, I'm generally quite a nice guy, so my general posture towards people is to be gracious. Ah, oh, no, it's fine. Ah, oh, no, it's okay. No, it's fine. We can make a plan. And so behaviorally, I was acting very gracious. But certain things began to happen and I, res I, I felt this wound being pushed. You ever have it? It's like, it's like when someone has a boil. When you have, how many of you have had boils on your, on your behind? How many of you know that when you have a boil on your behind, when you're walking around, often you're not experiencing the pain, are you? And someone will say, is it sore? And you have to pause to think, no, only when I try and sit, only when I sit down, only when pressure is applied, that's when I feel the pain. And for many of us here, you might be in a situation of resentment, of offense, but you're not actually conscious of it. You only become conscious of it when there's an outburst and then you realize, I didn't know I had been wounded. And the enemy's strategy is to get us to a place of offense because that offense becomes a trap because it gives him a door of entry into our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is just an introduction. This is an introduction to this series. I'm trying to show you that Christians can be in bondage. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. This is my key scripture, foundation scripture. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. How many of you know that when you are saved, you're not just saved from stuff, you're also saved into something else? And when you don't understand what you've been saved into, you live life accepting all sorts of things that you should be resisting. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Whose responsibility? Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So when we are burdened by a yoke of slavery, we cannot point fingers and say, you have burdened me with this weight. You have bound me into slavery. The scripture here in the book of Galatians says, you stand firm. It says, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So when you see someone in bondage, somewhere along the line, they've allowed it. When there's bondage in your life, somewhere along the line, you have allowed yourself to be in that situation. Now the context here in the book of Galatians is talking about religion. It's talking about religion, but you can actually apply it across the board to the different yokes of slavery. And one of the yokes is the yoke of religion. Some people are walking bound by the religious spirit. And we'll talk about these different things as we go deeper into this, into this series. So freedom is central to salvation. Your freedom is central to your salvation. If the world is going to truly see Christ in his fullness, then Christians need to be freed up 
so that Christ is fully manifest. Amen? You see, the type of freedom I'm talking about, I'm saying, am I maximizing on the Holy Spirit flowing through me? Or is there anything blocking him from flowing through me? And if there is, it means there's a degree of bondage in my life. When people look at me, do they see Christ? Or are they seeing something else? Even if it's partial. Because if that's the case, it means Christ is not fully manifest in my life. So it means that there are parts of my life that are unsurrendered. Please say to the person next to you, is your life completely surrendered? Now, if you look at the Webster's Dictionary, there's an interesting definition of bondage. Because it's important that we're speaking about the same thing. There's an interesting definition of bondage. It defines bondage as the state of being under control of a force or influence. That's bondage. The state of being under control, right, under the control of a force or influence. I want every word that comes out of my mouth to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know that even as Christians, very often we do things and we say things and we react in certain ways and we can see that we're under the influence of something else. Ah, no. If you're a Christian, that can never happen. You can never be influenced by something else. So why does the Bible throughout the New Testament say stand firm? Why does the Bible say resist the devil and he will flee? Talking to Christians. Why do we have to still resist the devil? You see, some people have got this idea that once you are born again, automatically, automatically the devil can't mess around with you. No, you have to walk in your freedom and your victory. You have to what? You have to walk in your freedom and your victory. Bondage is the state of one who is bound, as in captivity or slavery. If you're addicted to something, you're bound by the thing. It's held you captive. You'll go to it even if you know it's not right. You're like, I, I, I just couldn't help it. People who are bound by sexual addiction, for example, you hear them coming and saying, yeah, and then, and then pastor, yeah. So then what happened was, yeah, we started the relationship and, yeah, so, and then the baby came and, no, babies don't just come. Something happened in between. Amen? But you didn't want it to happen. But it happened because you are in captive. You are, you are, you are, in captivity. Ah, no, I find that when I'm feeling lonely, I go to the bottle. No, it's when I'm feeling rejected. When my wife rejects me, I just run to the bottle. Do you, did you want to? No, I just, oh, I just couldn't help it. How many of you know that for many Christians, their minds have been besieged? Because when you are born again, your spirit man is regenerated. Right? But part of the process of salvation is that yes, you are born again. But part of the process of salvation is sanctification. And I'm going to show you in scripture where God wants to restore you in your soul, which is your mind, how you're thinking, your will. A lot of Christians have got weak wills. They've got wills that are not aligned to the will of God. When there's a crisis in your life, very often, just have a look at your will. Are you able to say, this is the thing I want to pursue. This is the life I want to live, and you can do it. Or are you in a situation, you say, hey, pastor, I, I don't know. It's like something just overcomes me when I'm in that situation. It means that your life in that area has been besieged by the enemy. Your soul includes your emotions. And that we can, we can have a whole seminar just talking about the power of emotions over us and what it causes people to do. When we're talking about the soul of a person, we're actually also talking about your intellect and your imaginations. So if you're bound by lust, if you're bound by fantasy, how many of you know that it means that in a realm of your soul, it's not surrendered and it's held captive by the enemy? 
I mean, if you know that when you are praying for someone, let's say someone is addicted to porn, one of the spirits you, you often have to deal with, you're dealing with the spirit of lust, but you're also dealing with the spirit of fantasy very often. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If there's an aspect of my life where I'm not walking in righteousness, it means kingdom has not manifest in that area. If there's an aspect of my life where I'm not walking full of the peace of God, it means kingdom has not manifest, manifested in that area. If there's an aspect of my life where I'm not walking in the joy of the Lord, it means kingdom has not manifested in that area of my life. And what we see happening with a lot of Christians is our sickness has become normal. Our emotional sickness has become normal. We come to a place where we've got addictions. We come to a place where we are always depressed. We come to a place where we're continuously in a state of anxiety and we've embraced it as being, it's part of my personality. Paul, you must understand, I'm a melancholic person. So I'll always be on the down low or on the low down. I'm just like that. That's how God has made me. And we believe the enemy's lie. How many of you know that when you're continuously depressed, how many of you are fruitful when you're in that state? How many of you find that Jesus is glorified when you're in a depressed state? How many of you find that you're very positive when you're in a depressed state and you're not upset with people? I want to encourage you this morning that if there's any area of your life that is unsurrendered, any area of your life that is still wounded, any area of your life where pain is seeking pleasure, I want to encourage you not to accept things as they are. It's not going to be business as usual during this freedom project. Why is it a project? It's a project because I'm trying to see if we come to a place of freedom in our individual lives, is it going to affect our marriages? It's going to affect our businesses, and I believe it is. It's going to affect our church. I believe it is. It's a project because I'm going to be giving you homework. You're going to be going home, and there are things to pray into. I'm going to encourage you. We've got on our website a particular page that has got the weekly prayer strategy. So I go home, and on Sunday afternoon, I convert the sermon notes into prayer strategies, and you'll see prayer points there. And I know that many of you are involved in small groups. You've been praying. It's been powerful, isn't it? That's the feedback I've been getting as you've been praying through the different sermons. It's going to be so important in this particular series. How many of you know that you cannot separate deliverance from dis discipleship? You can't separate the two. So many people say, Pastor, just lay hands on me and rebuke this thing. And yes, we can do so. Yes, we can do so. I remember there was a guy I was counseling, I think it was last year sometime, and I remember you were struggling with pornography, and I prayed a certain prayer over him, and he just said, you know what, the desire for it and everything, it's like something just lifted from the time that you prayed for me. But how many of you know that someone can slip back into something if they're not discipled in that particular area, if they haven't learned to think differently in that particular area? You cannot separate the two. There's a place for casting out devils, but there's also a place for renewing the mind. Amen? Amen? All right. So we're going to be going deep into that kind of thing. And I encourage you to do your homework. I want to ask you a question. Are you bringing freedom to the people around you? You see, sometimes we put people into a place of bondage because of how we are. We make it difficult for them to feel free. Do they feel in bondage when they're around you? You know that God loves you so much and his heart for you is that you are free. Despite every bit of oppression that you might be experiencing in your life, God's heart for you is that you are free. Have a look at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start reading from verse 38. Just verse 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. What are principalities? These are spirits that are ruling over specific areas, geographical areas, okay? Despite how they might be harassing you in your life right now. 
right no things pre present no things to come no powers no height no depth now at a certain point in the series i'm going to unpack that i'm going to teach on what is the difference what is spiritual wickedness in high places right what are principalities what are powers what is it speaking of because it's different things all right but none of those things nor any other created thing human beings okay you know some people are like you yeah, know what well, the world is very nice just just as long as there are no human beings you know people are like right the world is very nice except for the people <laughs> okay well there are about seven billion of them okay so you have to learn to deal with them so if you struggle with people just get over yourself and learn to deal with people okay all right nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord so that's a strong foundation jesus loves you and me despite everything that you are going through despite anything i'm going through jesus loves me this is a strong foundation for experiencing freedom isaiah 42 verse 6 to 8 i am the lord i have called you in righteousness i will also hold you by the hand and watch over you and i will appoint you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison that's god's heart and god's nature right i am the lord that is my name i will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images your freedom is part of the covenant if you're under the lordship of jesus christ your freedom is part of the covenant can you see that and that's his heart look at the things that are mentioned to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison how many of you have been imprisoned by anything in your life right now jesus wants to free us jesus wants to free us are you seeing that isaiah 61 i'm trying to show you the heart of god for your freedom his heart for your freedom isaiah 61 i'm going to read from verses 1 through to 7 the spirit of the sovereign lord is upon me it's obviously speaking of jesus right because the lord has anointed me to do what what is central to the ministry of jesus the lord has appointed has anointed me so there's an anointing for it to proclaim good news to the poor how many of you feel poor right now if you look in the new testament you'll see that sometimes it's spoken of as blessed are the poor in spirit other places like if you look in the gospel of luke is blessed are the poor period so however you want to see it any type of poverty poverty of spirit any kind of lack that you find yourself in jesus has got good news for you amen he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted how many of you are brokenhearted here come on how many of you have been how many of you have had your hearts broken in your life i'm seeing hands i'm seeing hands all over the room well you know what jesus was sent to bind your heart to bind up the brokenhearted to mend that and for many of you you have it hasn't yet been mend, mended you know that you can have a broken heart and then on the rebound get hooked up to someone else even marry the person and now when you see the person who you're married to it's all cool and it's all fine but there's still a wound from before and by the way brokenhearted is not just in terms of romantic relationships by the way you heard of the sting of betrayal sometimes your heart can break because you felt betrayed you can be betrayed by a boss one of the things i'm seeing more and more is that there's a lot of wounding in the workplace but because people put on that business face and say it's business so you should be strong you should be fine in so many of my coaching sessions people break down and they cry and they keep apologizing saying i shouldn't be like this paul i really shouldn't sorry sorry but 
workplace wounds. It's important to acknowledge them because Jesus wants to heal them. Amen? Very often we need to be aware of something for us to be healed of it. Sometimes, yes, you can be in meetings that can be healed of things that you're not aware of. But very often it involves releasing specifically certain people. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He wants to free us from demonic strongholds. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. God is out to take something back. How many of you know that there's a lot of land in our lives where we lose ground to the enemy because of things that happened in our past? And I'm going to that when you get born again, part of the process of being discipled is taking that ground back. A lot of Christians chill in church, not being discipled, and so that ground is still in the enemy's hands. You've got the power to take it back, but you're not. And you've accepted that this is my life. Woe is me. Amen. And it goes on to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion. Provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. There are many people today, men and women, who are beautiful on the outside but don't feel beautiful. You know the people I'm talking about. You look at them and you can see that they are good looking people. But they just feel so ugly on the inside. God wants to change certain things and he can change them. Where you've got ashes in your life, he can put beauty there. He can turn things around. Amen? Amen. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Some people have embraced despair as part of who they are. But when I look at the Bible, the anointing of Jesus Christ is to take the despair away and replace it with the garment of praise. Isn't that powerful? There are a lot of people who are suicidal, who are taking their lives today. And by the way, lots of teenagers are doing so today. How many of you know that before they get to a place where the spirit of death has gripped their lives, often when people take their lives, there's a spirit, a demonic spirit of death that's actually functioning, that needs to be rebuked and, and um, told to go away. Right? But before that happens, they've been dancing with despair. They've been entertaining despair. You know, you know when someone experiences despair, it's devastating. When you experience despair, there's a sense of what's the point of living. But very often they've allowed their mental state to get to that point. Those are strongholds that have to be dealt with because those strongholds in our minds attract demonic activity. And once there's that demonic activity in our lives, it's a, down, a downward, slippery, slippery slope from there. And we've got an enemy out there who hates us. And it's important to talk about it. Now watch this. They will be called oaks. Not oaks like how we say, hey, these oaks. Okay, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Think of an oak tree. That's an anointing for establishment where God establishes you. Oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. So once you are freed up, there are things you can start doing. Your community changes. Your town changes. Your city changes. Nations are rebuilt but we have to be healed first as people. So individual restoration, individual deliverance, individual freedom results in national freedom. And you can get independence politically but still be bound mentally. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. That's a blessing. South Africa. How many South African citizens do we have here? Please raise your, raise your hands. South African citizens. Right? It's a blessing when foreigners come and work 
It's a blessing. It's a sign of blessing. Ne? It's a sign of a blessed nation. With all these xenophobic attacks, I'm not too sure why people do that. I'm not too sure why people do it. The blessing on a nation is when people can actually come and work for you. The problem is when you don't own anything. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? There's so many opportunities today for South Africans. Those who've come from other nations will go and will try and apply for this grant, apply for this, apply for this land or that, and they're told what? It's only for South African citizens. Now, if you can own certain things because you're a citizen and it's your birthright, that is so powerful. Why don't you go and get that land over there? And I'm telling you, there are a lot of hardworking Malawians, hardworking Zimbabweans who will come and work on your land. Are you hearing me? It's a blessing. But you see, the mindset of captivity is the mindset that is just looking for a job. It's the mindset that has a defeatist mentality. It's the mindset that has a scarcity mentality. That is, they're taking our jobs. They're taking our money. They're taking things from us. See the blessing of God on your life. Amen? Amen. See the goodness of God on your life. Now, Watch this, this is very powerful. Strangers will, re- will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. That's a restoration of ministry. Can you see? You're made whole in God. You're delivered. You're freed up. But then you're established. Then God begins to prosper you. But you're also restored in terms of your ministry. You will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers. Of our God. Here's the scary thing. A lot of Christians, they're different categories of people. You have the unsaved. Then you have the saved who don't know their birthright in Christ. And so they're still walking like they're unsaved. Right? And then you have the other people who are saved. They know their birthright, but they haven't yet been restored with regards to their ministry. So some of you, you're whole. It's us four and no more. You've got a wonderful family. You're living in righteousness, but you're not walking in the fullness of your purpose because of shame in your life. Because there's a sense of, no, it's for other people. And in false humility, you remain mediocre in ministry, but God here is saying, when I've restored you, full restoration, this is what it looks like. You will be called priests of the Lord. What does a priest do? What does a priest do? What's the priestly ministry? The priestly ministry represents man before God, takes up man's issues before God. Amen? The prophetic ministry is, is speaking God's thoughts, God's voice, God's will, and reflecting that to the people. God wants to restore that in our lives. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, bondage will stop you. There'll be lies that you believe that will say, hey, not me. Praying those prayers, that's just for our pastors. This is a blessing for all believers. You'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, at my launch, people are talking and so on. But you know what? People say, I got, I got a message from a couple of people saying, we want this to go global. You'll feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will boast so in other words there'll be foreign investment amen Amen. don't limit your vision to just what's going on here i'm trying to paint a picture for you of complete freedom complete liberty okay instead of your shame you will receive a double portion abundance and instead of disgrace you will rejoice in your inheritance And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. So this passage shows us various levels of freedom. Have you ever read this passage this way? Often we we see it as just like, okay, it's it's my individual breakthrough, let me pray and so on. But these are the areas that Jesus is anointed for breakthrough in your life. You know, so this passage shows various levels of freedom so we see from it and i'm just going to give you a summary we see from it healing from emotional wounding and depression renewed prosperity and healing from generational patterns we see that deliverance from shame 
restoration of leadership and ministry, grief issues are dealt with, and freedom from demonic strongholds. At a national level, foreigners are welcome to come and find jobs. It's a sign of a blessed nation. Now here's my situation. Do you remember a number of years ago, there was a particular national leader when people were saying that your nation is in a crisis, that national leader said, crisis? What crisis? I don't know if you remember that. But you know, for a lot of Christians, that's the space they're in right now. Crisis? What crisis? They're in bondage, but they've embraced it as part of their personality. So they're saying, crisis? What crisis? They've become used to the bondage. They've become used to captivity. We see that happening throughout but I want you to know that you're a new creation. I want you to know this morning that the old is gone and the new has come. You see, it sounds humble, but it's really false humility when people say, it's fine, I'm okay with my bondage. I've become comfortable with it. I've lived like this for 30 years. I've lived like this for 35 years. I've lived like this for 42 years, however old you are. What bondage are you in right now? What captivity are you in? Where the enemy has whispered into your ear to say that's fine, it's normal, you were born like that, it's okay. I want to exhort you this morning, don't accept it. Stand firm. Resist it. So, what's the biblical basis What's the biblical basis for us ministering freedom? Why are we doing this thing? I've got nine things I'm going to share with you, and I'm not going to finish them this morning, so don't get nervous. But I've got nine things I want to share with you that are a biblical basis for ministry of freedom to people. This is so important because there are many people who will say, but once you're a Christian, you must just know it. And that's, that's the thing. Just know it and you'll be fine. You'll walk in freedom. It's a bit more complex. It's a bit more. It's a bit more complex. And I know we like to say, oh, no, no, it's very easy. It's very straightforward. Do you remember there was a time when the disciples tried to cast out a devil, a demon, and they couldn't. And they said to the Lord Jesus, why is it that we couldn't cast this one out. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to them, you know what? You need faith. He specifically said that. I know some translations say this one only comes out through prayer and fasting and so on. That's just the King James. Okay, that adds the fasting bit. Just for the record, okay? But the main thing that Jesus said, he said that you need faith to do this. So sometimes we may remain in bondage in our lives. And someone can come and say, no, it's simple, just do this, this, this. And it doesn't happen, and we remain in bondage. The thing to do is to seek the Lord. Don't just say, no, it's God's will. You see, we're quick to say that. We know the love of Jesus. We know the love of Christ. Right? We're fully convinced of that. So when we remain in bondage, please do not say it is God's will. Just because you haven't had the breakthrough. I've shown you in this scripture here, Isaiah 61, the will of God for freedom. So when things don't happen in our lives, we must know that there are other reasons. Amen? And that's where this whole series comes from. And I want to show you now the biblical basis for ministering freedom to people. Some people will call it deliverance ministry. Okay, the word deliverance it's not actually in the Bible, okay, it's deliverance, but it's a buzzword we've used for this type of thing we're talking about, okay? I like talking about ministering personal freedom to people, all right? I want to use the words that are used in the Bible, but sometimes I'll use the word deliverance so that people understand the context and what we're talking about, okay? And there are also a lot of extremes in so-called deliverance ministry. You know, there's some people who think there's a demon on every doorknob, you know what I mean, where everything is blamed on a demon, you know? Oh, the devil made me do it. No, you were in the flesh and you're not discipled in that area of your life. That's why you ended up doing it. Right? Okay. So, number one. What's the biblical basis of ministering freedom? Number one. It's possible to be a Christian but still walk in bondage. 
and there are many Christians walking in bondage, therefore we must minister freedom to them. Amen? And you see this in Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27. In verse 27 it says, Do not give the devil a what? A foothold. The church at Ephesus was a strong church. It was a mighty church. So here he's speaking to radical Christians, but he's still saying to them, Guys, don't give the enemy a foothold. There's a particular person who had a house. He had a particular house and he sold it to someone. And so he moves out of the house, but he says, can I still have a portion of the house? You might have heard of this. And the guy says, oh, okay, it's fine. And he says, okay, this is the portion I just want. And I will just put this nail, I'll just drill this nail into the door. That's all I just want. So he says, okay, that's fine, cool. And he's celebrating, saying, I've got, now got my new house, I've got my new house. And then this guy who had sold the house comes and puts a dead animal, puts an animal that has been killed and hangs it on that peg, on that nail, on the door. And ends up stinking out this guy and ends up leaving that particular house because it was stunk out. But that's how the enemy works. That's a picture of a foothold. It's a picture of a foothold. And you see, all the enemy needs, all the devil needs is a foothold, a door into your life. Yes, you are born again. Yes, you love Jesus. But as long as that door is there and it's open, he's like, I oh, know, I'm just going to wait for this guy to, to start his own church one day and influence many people. But that door, is it still there? Yeah, okay, let's just wait. Because if I can get him down, the 400, 500, 600 people who are following him will be disillusioned and many of them will also backslide. Are you hearing me? And that's why many people have time bombs in their lives. Time bombs. You know those time bombs? And they don't explode. They don't go off now. They go off in two years' time. They go off after a period. I want to encourage you. If there's anything in your life where you've given the enemy a foothold, a door, deal with it. The deception that kicks in is it's not an issue because it's hidden right now. It's not an issue because only I know right now. It's not an issue because it's not causing problems. I'm providing for my family. My kids are happy. So how can it be an issue? I'll tell you what happens. That foothold is not yet demonic. But it attracts demonic activity. Are you hearing me? It attracts demonic activity. And it's important to deal with it. Because when the, when, the, when the demonic activity comes, you'll find that it's proliferated. Right? You know how Jesus helps us? He anoints us to do certain good things. Right? When there's demonic activity against you, it's almost like an anointing for bad. Right? It's empowering you to do evil. And that's where the enemy wants you to be in. That's the space he wants you to be in. Right? Now look at the context here. If you read from verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So is it okay to be angry? There's nothing wrong with being angry. Anger is an emotion. And there's certain things we should be angry about. If someone comes and says like, Oh, my sister was raped the other day. Oh, this and this happened to her. I must feel angry. That's righteous anger. Amen? But here's the thing about anger. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Because what happens with anger, and, and if you've got anger issues, one of my books is on dealing with anger. You can get it on Amazon. Dealing with anger. What happens when you're angry for a long time? Anger turned inward becomes depression very often. Right? Anger not dealt with can become rage or wrath. Anger not dealt with can become bitterness or resentment. Anger not dealt with properly can become rage. That's why when you look at the newspaper and you see all these crimes of passion, so many people who are killed today are being killed by the very people who they once loved or who once loved them. Crimes of passion. How does that happen? Anger. Anger that was not dealt with. It was not uprooted. If you've got anger issues this morning, it's important to uproot that. Because the context here of not giving the devil a foothold, the context here is actually to do with anger. Can you see that? So why do we minister freedom to people? Victory must be enforced. Victory must be enforced. You know that you can be on the winning side of a war. 
but still think the war is on. You know, there are many people back in the day who were involved in the civil war in Zimbabwe, the bush war, guerrilla warfare, and then into the 80s, the, the war ended, right? The, oh, the war had already ended, independence was 1980. But you, those of you who remember, in the, in, in the early 80s, what was happening? You keep hearing, oh, this soldier has just come out of the bush, he thought the war was still on. And you see, there are many Christians in that situation. Jesus did it on the cross. Our job is now to reinforce the victory. That's why we minister freedom to people, because it's already been done by the Lord. But if you still think, ah, oh, no, the devil is so powerful over me, the devil will do to you whatever you allow him to do. But you have authority over your own life to refuse certain things. Amen? I don't know about you, but as I've been preparing for this, as I've been preparing this, I'm inspired and ignited to refuse certain things. I see the biblical standard. I see Isaiah 61. I see the, what's in the covenant. And I'm saying I'm refusing. Because there are things we accept that we don't need to accept anymore. I heard of a Japanese guy after World War II, where for a full 29 years, after the Japanese had surrendered, this guy still thought the war was on. The guy still thought the war was on. He had been fighting in the Philippines and he was on that, the Philippine island. He was there and he had been told very strongly by his, the Japanese generals or his leaders that listen, you must never surrender. Never back down. Doesn't matter what other people do around you, just don't back down. He was involved in espionage. He was spying. He was doing all sorts of things. And for a full 29 years, he didn't realize that the surrender had already taken place. What am I saying? Jesus did it on Calvary. He did it on Calvary. Our job now is to walk in the freedom that he's bought for us. You're following? To walk in the freedom that he's bought for us. And many of us as Christians are walking bound because we're not aware of what he did. That he's already got the victory. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Does it say because Jesus did it on the cross there's no more resisting guys. Just go to sleep and don't worry about it. No. It says submit yourselves to God. In other words be under his lordship. Right? Resist the devil. What, is, what does that word resist mean? Stand firm against something. Resist the devil. And he will do what? Yeah, so the enemy is afraid of you. Demons are scared of you. Don't leave the service today being scared of the devil. Okay? He's scared of you if you know your authority. He's not scared of Christians who don't know their authority. Amen? I mean, if you know that Galatians 6 verse 7 is in the New Testament. You know what Galatians 6 verse 7 is? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's why we're ministering freedom. Because you reap what you sow. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you won't reap what you've been sowing. A lot of Christians today are like, it doesn't matter how I live my life, it's fine, I'll just live my life because I'm under Christ, then it's all fine. No, Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived. It's a deception to think it doesn't matter how I live my life, there'll be no foothold, no stronghold, no enemy activity, it's fine. It's not fine. There are many Christians today who have not surrendered parts of their lives. And I want to close this morning by talking about what some of those areas of bondage are. And I want to challenge you as you go from here as part of your homework to ask the Lord to show you in what, what parts of my life are unsurrendered. What parts of my life are still in bondage. Because once you see it, you can deal with it. And I'm going to be going in more depth in some of these areas of bondage throughout the series. This series is going to be a number of months, by the way. We're just going to be going deeper. Is that okay? We're just going to be going deeper, going to be going deeper, going to be going, going deeper. Right? Different areas of bondage that we're going to be looking at. Number one, guardian lies. Guardian lies. And these often stem from your own wounds. 
These are lies that we believe. Like all men are dogs. I'll never amount to anything. I'm afraid of being involved in ministry because I'm afraid of failing. And if I fail, that's it. My life will end. They're guardian lies that reinforce the strongholds in our mind. And we want to look at that because that's an area of bondage. What lies are we believing? Number two, unforgiveness and the root of bitterness. That's a big one. It's a big area of bondage. The root of bitterness. You can talk nicely to people, but the root of bitterness still is there. And you know what it does? It grows very easily. It sprouts up again very easily if you have a root of bitterness in your life. Number three, bitter root judgments and inner vows. What's a bitter root judgment? It's where someone says, I will never be like my father. How could he have treated me like that? And you see, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're abandoning your family just like your father did. I know of a particular guy whose father was not emotionally present in his life. And he hated that. He was angry with his father. He got bitter with regards to that. His wife was saying to me recently, not from this church, so don't think, ooh, who could it be? Right? Those of you like quizzes. All right? Not from this church. His wife was saying to me recently, I've got no emotional support from this guy. Doesn't come to my graduation. Doesn't come to the kids' prize giving. I've got no emotional support. I said, it's a bitter root judgment. The very thing he judged his father concerning, he's then partnering with that sin. When you don't release someone, you end up connected to it through your unforgiveness. That bitter root judgment starts outworking in your own life. Jesus says, with the same measure that you judge another, you'll be judged. How many of you know that it's by God's grace that we are where we are? Right? So when I judge someone else, it's one thing to give feedback. It's another thing to make a bitter root judgment. What are inner vows? Inner vows are prophecies over your own life. How many of you know that the Bible tells us that the tongue is, is a rudder in the book of James? So what you say often determines where you go. What's an inner vow? It's when someone is hurt and they'll say, I'll never get married. Ah, marriage. Uh-uh. The men will just use you. You've prophesied that over your life. You need to break those words. Why? Because when that gentleman comes along your way and you're trying to make the relationship work, you had already made a decree over the direction of your own life. And it's often a decree made in bitterness. How many of you are there certain decrees that we make that are heard in the spirit realm by demonic, demonic, demonic entities? You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you can make a prophetic declaration in a service and angels hear what you're saying and angels go and do the bidding of the word of the Lord and they assist in the word coming to pass. It's the same with demons, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you can be in a situation where you say, ah, I will never give those people anything, none of my money, they will use me. And what happens? You find that for the rest of your life you are bound by stinginess. Every time you're trying to do something good, it just doesn't work out. Why? You invited demonic activity when you made that declaration. It's important to renounce the inner vows that we've made that are not in line with God's word. Next one, the root of rejection and abandonment. This is a very common one. How many of you know that if the enemy can get you to that place where you always feel abandoned, if you look at the state of this nation and the fatherlessness on this nation, so many people are bound by that. And how many of you know that you will do anything just to feel accepted? Come on, there are many young ladies today, right, who've been abandoned, especially by their fathers. And what do you see taking place? They're now going looking for a father. They'll do anything just to have that rejection filled. That rejection gap mended. But they'll go to the wrong place. People who have great moral values in so many areas, but they're bound where they feel like, you know what, my husband has rejected me, doesn't care about me. I'm just like a single mom by myself, having to do everything by myself. You feel rejected and you go and look for solace somewhere else. And people are like, what happened? How could she have done that? How could she have cheated on her hubby? But she was a solid church person. That's what the root of rejection does. Especially when you allow it to be defiled. Your soul to be defiled by a spirit that takes advantage of the wound. 
Are you hearing me this morning? And that's why we, we need healing from rejection and abandonment. It's a very serious thing and it's very common in this nation. Another thing we're going to be looking at in terms of areas of bondage is sexual immorality, pornography, and sexual addiction. Right? When people talk about STDs, they think it's just sexually transmitted diseases, but we also have sexually transmitted what? Demons. We'll go, we'll go there during this series. Addictions and substance abuse. We're going to be addressing those issues. We're going to be looking at the impact of occult, occult influence. How many of you know that there are a lot of churches out there that people think like, I know it's fine, it's just a tr traditional church. But they practice syncretism where you mix Christianity with ancestral worship. When people think that they're, they're talking to their dead grandfather, they're not. They're talking to a demonic spirit that is pretending to be their dead grandfather. We know that, right? And so just because something isn't apparent as pure black magic and the enemy presents it because he appears as the angel of light, doesn't he? Right? And makes it seem like, oh, it's fine, it's okay, it's, a, it's our culture, it's part of our tradition. Let me tell you something, there are many people being harmed today by the spirit of divination. What's divination? It's what functions through fortune tellers. So you'll see Christians being like, I won't go to that fortune teller, oh, because I'm a Christian. But they'll go to someone from some of these white garment churches. Can I go there, please? Be given water and all sorts of things. And they say, but he told me everything about my life. And I say, yeah, but he was functioning from a spirit of divination and you're defiling yourself. You see, there are many different guises. The spirit of divination will work through a fortune teller from Eastern Europe. That same spirit will function through someone who seems like their prophet, but they're a false prophet. Be very careful. The Bible says, test all spirits. And so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm labeling it here and I'm calling it occult influences because that's what it is. Another area of bondage is false religion and syncretism. We're going to go into that. Broken marriages and their impact. That, you know, the breaking of a covenant is very serious, eh? You see, there are hedges. We'll talk about this next week. There are hedges around people that God puts around us to protect us. So Job had a hedge around him. That's why the enemy went and uh, the devil went to God and said, Hey, I see you've placed a hedge around Job. So I can't do anything to him. Please, just give me access. Yeah? So we have hedges around us. And when you break that particular hedge, the Bible says, he who pushes his hand through the wall or through a hedge will be bitten. Some translations say may be bitten. And some of you have been bitten because those hedges that God has placed in your life, those boundaries he's placed in your life, you've put your hand through it. Now let me say something. If you've had infidelity in your marriage, right, that is a hedge that has been broken and it gives access to demonic activity and it's important to repent of that and to rebuild the wall. Amen? The breaking of covenant is a serious thing. And when you rebuild the wall, it's amazing what God ends up doing. Right? And we'll be talking about that. Broken marriages and their impact on children also. All right? Then generational influences. Generational influences. These are weaknesses that run through family lines where we start wondering like, how come everyone in this family has got this? And how come everyone in this family has got that? And I'll give you a balanced view of that because they're extremes that have been taught out there, but they are generational influences. Things that pass on. Verbal abuse. Common area of bondage. We're going to be looking at that. Anger and violence, emotional abuse and its impact. There's also spiritual abuse. It's a form of emotional abuse. Happens in churches. You can see the people who've come from churches where the leaders have been abusive. Because they carry that wound when they come here. So every time a pastor is just quite strong with them or tries to correct them, it's like ah! abuse. Because that wound is there. 
But what ends up happening is the covering that God has called you to have spiritually, you're always distancing yourself from it. Because of the wound you experienced when you're involved either in a cult or in a church where there was what's called heavy shepherding. You know when pastors are controlling and they're trying to tell you, you know, your child must go to this school, not that school. No, you mustn't buy a white car, you must buy a black car. You get what I'm saying? We have houses of authority, right? The local church is a house of authority and you have a senior pastor and you have elders and an, elder, an eldership team, right? In, in terms of leading the church. But how I many of you know that another house of authority is a family, and it has a father and it has a mother. So there's headship there. And so I can't come and say to you, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. No, no, no. I can advise you. I can counsel you. I can expose you to the word of God, but it's up to you to lead your family. Amen? Trauma and wounded hearts. We're going to look into that. The impact of trauma and wounded hearts. Father and mother wounds. I'm learning that it's not just father wounds, but there are a lot of mother wounds that people experience. The wounds from a mother. We're going to deal with the religious spirit. We're going to look at spiritual abuse and its impact. We're going to look at anxiety disorders. We're going to look at territorial spirits, demonic spirits that affect regions. How are they impacting you? You you have some people who say, I don't have this issue whenever I'm in Durban. But then whenever I go up to Nelspreit, I struggle in this area of sin or weakness. But how come it's not an issue? I'm not even tempted when I'm in Durban. But when I'm in Nelspreit, oh, I am. What is the influence of territorial spirits in your life? And then we'll also talk about spirits that resist local churches. Spirits that stop local churches from growing. Spirits that affect multiple people in a local church. What's going on there? And so for homework, I want to leave this question with you. How many of these are in your life right now? These things we're talking about. The things I've addressed today. The good news is you can do something about it. Go and pray this week and say, God, show me the areas of bondage in my life. Because I want to experience your complete freedom. Amen. And we'll carry on next week. Let's pray.